0: This is episode number 403 with Cameron Floon of The Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating
1: exploration of human potential. Now. Now, 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Do you have a skill and you just want to take it further than just being paid for your time? Well, today's guest did just that, and he just signed a $60 million deal with a major US fitness empire. Now, Cameron Falloon took his love for fitness and personal training and built the BodyFit Training Framework. And in this interview, you're going to hear how he turned this into a successful framework and then actually turned into a franchise with over 300 locations around the globe. Please welcome to the podcast, Cameron Falloon. Thanks so much for taking the time come down to the studio, Cameron. Thanks, mate. I'm really excited to speak with you and hear about the body fit training journey. So, you know, I see BFTs everywhere around Melbourne, all around Australia. So, like, the first question that we ask everybody that comes on is, how did you get your
1: job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Uh, gee, that's a that's a good question. I don't know whether I'll do it justice in a, in a short answer, but... Um, I was fortunate to have a life in professional sport. Um, I had a young family and, and sport, to be honest, much like being an entrepreneur and being in business, it takes a lot of time away from family. Mm. And when I uh, got the sack in 2012 in, in a, in a high-performance role, took a bit of time with the family and the kids and realised I was really missing out on a, on a lot, um, especially time with my kids and their development. So we came, came my wife and I came back to Australia I thought she wanted to get back into corporate life and pursue her um, career. So I thought, I've had my time, I'll let her do that. Um, so in my year off, I actually started a gym and uh, not BFT. It was a 24-hour gym. Got that running sort of in my spare time and then got that under control and um, and thought, you know what, I, I either get back into sport, I was getting bored and I was getting itchy feet and and I just started to explore and thought, okay, sport's great, but... I've just got to remember how I felt when I left, and and I left because I wanted to spend time with my family and do other things. And but how could I utilise my skill set? Um, and just did a lot of research on the fitness industry and the commercial side of the industry, which I just really wasn't. Um, I just didn't have my head in that space at all for fifteen odd years, and that just led me to thinking. Okay, I feel like there's a gap in a the market. There's you know what I saw was CrossFit, you know in terms of. Heavy, extreme barbell, kettlebell training, etc., and then down the bottom was a whole lot of other service offerings: Barry's boot camp, you know, Orange Theory, F forty-five, and and I just didn't see anything in the middle.
0: Yes, and
1: funnily enough, my skill set as a conditioning coach and high performance manager sort of sat right there. Yes, and. I just thought if I can bring a more considered approach to training, um, still encapsulate what I experienced in a, in a team sporting environment, which is really there's a real collegiate feeling. It's fun. It's very community. If we could bring all those things and bring it into the mainstream, maybe, I don't know, there, there's an opportunity to have a business and that's that's essentially where it came from um, in the really, really early days. Yeah.
0: Awesome. So. What uh? What, what's what's you said? You're in sport. Were you, were you a personal trainer, performance trainer? Um, is that correct?
1: Yeah, my my in, in professional sports, I did um, strength and conditioning, and I guess yep. a fitness advisor, high performance manager for yep. some soccer clubs. Um, yes. I did some work in some uh, English Premier League development academies, yes. and then I've worked in three AFL clubs in you know, various roles from rehabilitation to strength coach, conditioning coach to high performance management. Got you. And is it true that um you used to train
0: Princess Diana? Yeah
1: yes, it is. Yes, it's a <laughs> hell of a long time ago. And um I apologize, I should have shaved, but don't know it was a video today. But uh, the, yeah, great, same, the great hairs will tell you uh, 1996, 97 was a long time ago for me. And um yeah, it's fond memories, but it's it feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, okay, wow. So uh
0: you come back to to Melbourne. Yep start that first gym but it wasn't a body fit training gym uh and that was 2012. Yes and 2013 was- yeah. 2013 yeah. started to see a gap in the market what happened next?
1: Um through through hiring people at the 24-hour gym and then I went to a couple of trade shows um there's a, there's a show called Philex and I was, to be honest, I was really overwhelmed with the commercial side of it. You go into yes. this, you know, um, big conference centre, and it's just music's pumping, and everyone's selling a potion or a lotion or something. And it was just so different from life in high performance sport, where, you know, you're very researched, everything's validated, and and, and so on. So there's so much more of a considered approach to everything, and it's a little bit more less in your face. Yes. And I, I really struggled. I was kind of like, wow. I don't know whether I'm going to survive in, in the commercial side of the industry and interviewing people for jobs at the 24-hour gym, it was just interesting receiving CVs where everyone said that they were a conditioning coach, everyone said that they could do nutrition, they could do body composition, they're an exercise rehabilitation specialist and I actually thought, well, either I'm not as good or I'm not as educated and experienced as I thought I was um, and these people are way better than me or there's a problem with the industry And so that just led me to do more research and um, back then a stat I think that I remember um, getting from one of the industry bodies was that the average lifespan of a personal trainer was nine months and nearly 30,000 people qualified every year as a a personal trainer. So the first thing that just hit me was there's a problem in the industry Um, and so that just made me think But how can I solve, how can I be a part of a solution and not part of the problem yes the second part was um there's a lot of really passionate people so that those people who were there for nine months they've obviously gone and done study they've invested potentially they're passionate but where's the job opportunities for them so i know when i came through and worked while i was at uni that to be honest owning a gym was just way 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 out of question Um, and I just saw franchising as a really, really good model and I was really fortunate that a very good family friend of ours um, was one of the founders of Sportsgo, the sports Ah, stores back in the day. Yes. So I was able to leverage some, lean on him a little bit and get some advice. So one problem was you can't stay in the industry. There's there's a problem because people only last nine months as trainers, so that's problem number one. Two is education. So when I was interviewing these people and they said that they are an exercise rehabilitation specialist, if I questioned them on something, what would you do with someone who's got a torn labrum in their shoulder or they've got um, some other ailment and realised that it was just something on a piece of paper, there was actually no, no substance behind it? Mm. Um, but well, education is now a problem. Yes. So how can I help that? And I've been fortunate that through various courses and degrees at university that I've... Had the ability to get educated, let alone rub shoulders with great people in high performance sport and learn from. So I just I had three things: how how can I build a business that, that I can feel avoid in the market and utilise my skill set, yep, um, and not have to travel all the time and um, be at the beck and call of a I guess a, an employer. Um, yes. Two was how can I provide through that business people that are really passionate the opportunity to stay in the industry and do what they love doing and earn a good income. Yes. And then the last bit was the education, that if we've got those passionate people, how do we keep that continuum with their professional development um, to keep them inspired and motivated to want to stay in the industry? So they were they were the three problems I saw. Yes. And from there it was, okay, get to work on how am I, how am I actually gonna pull it together and solve it, so to speak, which I didn't know at the time. Yes. Um, but that was the next challenge in that, that initial journey. Got you.
0: So I'm curious, like, what did the first version of body fit training look like? Did you did you convert the current gym that you had to this new model or did you go out, find a new location? Like what did the testing, what did the early days look like? Can you take us back?
1: Yeah, um, a lot of mistakes. Yep. Um, we actually started up just around the corner from here in Paran. Oh, really? And um, had a small facility. There's a couple of things with the methodology was try and go into a marketplace to prove the model that – where it was competitive and yep. this area is really competitive.
0: Yeah, oh, there's gyms, with everywhere. gyms and personal yeah.
1: training studios and yoga and other other offerings and so it's okay to find the real estate and it was really really difficult at the time. We ended up finding a place um, first floor, so not ideal, wooden floorboards, yep. not ideal for the people downstairs. Yes. So and then very quickly I learned two things. One, I, the programming was whilst it wasn't refined exactly, it was resonating with members so we're yep. getting a lot of positive feedback but commercially the space wasn't big enough to get enough bums on seats to make it financially viable so um lots and lots of mistakes like a lot of mistakes um i was really fortunate that i had the 24-hour gym and i had that income coming in and fueling oh, being able to fuel. so that growth. was cash so, flowing the experiments really it absolutely was and um i you know i didn't earn a salary for uh two and a half years Um, which is putting money straight back in. So I was fortunate that my wife had gone back to work as well. Yes. Um, And so, you know, just understanding the commercial side of the business was the real big one. Um, We need to get the footprint right. We need to get the shapes right. Um, We need to get the multiples of equipment right so that when we're programming, um, if we've got 12 exercises versus 18 or four, we need enough equipment to still get a certain number of people, and we landed on the 36 was sort of the right amount of people in the in a group training environment to then be able to have two or three trainers, and that model to be really, really financially viable and attractive for future investors. So that was a, a two-year journey. Yes. Um, so we opened up one here in Brand, and then another one six months later in South Yarra, one in Richmond, and then one in Yarraville, and um, just the ability to prove the model. Yes. Make a ton of mistakes, um, lose a lot of money, and then get to a point where either you're still passionate about it and you want to drive forward, um, or go nut, nah, done. And um, fortunately, we were getting a lot of feedback. Businesses were going well, and that was it. Was that point in time I went right? I'm going to go and speak to this friend from from SportsGo and yep. get some advice because I wasn't. I never set out to do franchising.
0: Yep. So those four <laughs> that you had were company owned. Yep. Yep. Yeah, what I did was there's a couple of
1: um, AFL players initially who um, I, I was really close with that I'd work with as athletes. They were finishing their careers and yep. weren't sure whether they were going to um, stay in sport, whether they are going to get into building or real estate or, or, or various other forms of employment and I got them over for lunch one day and said, I've got this idea. And we'd done similar sorts of cross-training programs in, in the footy clubs so yep. we'd done strength endurance and power endurance type stuff in a group and that's sort of what i modeled it off i said look you know you remember we used to do these programs um like yeah we really love those programs we used to have great fun and we worked hard and i've got this idea around sort of here's the philosophy how about i'll I'll fund it and um you guys you guys manage and i'll help like i've still got booklets where i did sales training with them and (laughs) Um, back in the day and videos of us laying rubber mats here and I said, look, in 12 months' time, the business is working and if you want to stay in it, um, you can have it. Pay me back what I put in, no interest, and I will just continue to try and build the IP and, and then develop and grow the business and um, take it to the next level. So that, that's how we did it. So the four initial investors, that was the arrangement.
0: Yeah, wow, well, that's awesome. And uh, it worked out really well for them in the end, right?
1: Yeah, really good. And yeah. I'm wrapped like the initial two guys, Darren, uh, Daniel and Matt. They've now got six franchises. They're all really successful. They're doing a fantastic job operating them. And, um, you know, to, to a large degree they backed me in. Yes. And took a bit of a punt on me. And I guess they were young enough that if it we went pear-shaped they could go into other things. But, um, I, I, you know, it wasn't lost on me even at the time, the fact that they were backing me in more on our relationship and trust. And so it just felt like the right thing to do. And also it's really when you want to grow a business, like I said, I didn't set out to do franchising. I just identified that I thought there was a a gap in the market and then those three key pillars, I guess, that I wanted to really um, um, build the business around and solve some problems with, I didn't really know how I was going to do that. And what I realised was that uh, just some of the conversations after 12 months where the guys, whilst they were in it and – working hard and they had the opportunity to to get ownership of that business the conversations shift when things go well Mm -hmm. when things are going bad it's don't worry everything lands on lands on i guess you as as the the owner so to speak and the founder when things are going good people want more and i thought well i can't continue to grow organically site by site and keep investing all of my money at some stage i need to um once we've proven the model we've got a really good financial um, and attractive P L there's got to be another way and that, that led the discussion with um, uh, the old family friend Des Morgan and he, he had some unbelievable uh, and, and really valuable insights and advice from his days from starting Sports Go and then obviously at the time growing that to be the, the, the biggest franchise in Australia at the time or Australian franchise and, and then exiting. So that was a huge learning curve for me and that was the first point where it opened up my eyes to franchising and um, I'm naturally a systems and process person. Mm. So that really felt right, to be quite honest. Yes. Um, so from there it was, okay, I need to find a franchising lawyer and start cracking on with um, disclosure documents and franchise agreements.
0: Yep, there you go. So that was like 2015?
1: Uh, no, to 2015, I, that was when I really started working on the concept. 2016, we opened Peran yep. in South Yarra. 2017, um, uh, Richmond and Yarraville. And then late 2017 or middle of 2017 we're starting to talk to the franchise lawyers about um, how do I actually do this?
0: Yep, got you. <laughs> what do you. I need? Got you. So fast forward to now, how
1: many sites do you guys have? Yeah, we have 160 open and um, just over 300 con- sold and contracted, yeah.
0: Yep, wow. Well, um, so what do you mean, are you able to explain the differences between 100 100- And 60 sites open and then, like, yeah, 300 sold and contracted. What does that mean? Sorry.
1: Yeah. So in franchising, um, initially what you do is you sell an exclusive marketing territory. Yes. So technically the franchisee owns a zone. that We we can't go and sell another BFT product into that zone. So they control that and that's their marketing zone. Yes. Um, So we've sold 300 of those. Yes. Or just over around um, the Asia Pacific region. Yes. And then... 160 of those are actually operational. The doors yes. are open. Yes. So it generally takes sort of nine, six to nine months from signing your franchise agreement to actually opening your doors because you've got to find real estate, go through yep. a council. Oh, et
0: cetera, et cetera. wow. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then that means there's going to be like well over 100 come, popping up very shortly.
1: Yeah, we're, we're really excited because COVID's slowed a few things down, especially yes. here in Melbourne. But we've got um, 47 sites um, from today that will open between now and end of March. Yeah. Wow. That's
0: impressive. So um, talk us through kind of the, you know, the recent deal that you've done with uh, US uh, NASDAQ listed.
1: Yeah. Exponential Fitness. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's it's been a bit of a whirlwind. It came completely out of left field and um, was a transaction, uh, especially with a publicly listed company that... um, usually would take six to nine months. And yes. we did it in under four weeks. Yes, wow. Which was extraordinary, to be honest, it was tough. Yeah. Um, but I think what led to that and what I guess solidified that it was the right deal was their, their want to work to get it done. Yes. Um, we were their 10th brand under their portfolio, the, the first actually as a publicly listed entity. And we just filled a really obvious void in their portfolio, there's nine other really strong brands and we're the one that they didn't have in terms of, I guess, the functional group hit training space. Yes. And it was just it was just one of those things where the stars aligned, um, came out of left field. Um, we'd had approaches before and, to be really honest, we actually had had bigger offers. Yes. It's still really young in our journey. So, you know, whilst my journey and when I say where I'm talking about my business partners... I started on my own 2015, 16, 17, and then late in 2017 took on some business partners and we didn't start selling franchises until April of 2018. Yes. So it's been a bit of a a really significant um, growth trajectory, but we still actually have, we're still really young in our journey. So we've got Mm. a lot of things that we still want to achieve. Yes. And the opportunity with Exponential was, we'd invested a lot of money in the US. Yep. And COVID really prohibited us from being there and capitalizing on those investments. Yes. we were getting some brand equity, we had a lot of leads, people were really interested in the brand because they could see that gap that I talked about earlier in the market and where they really understood where we sat. Yes. And I think the, the college athlete kind of training programs that they have in America and the high school programs just lends a little bit t- towards our model, which is more strength-based and strength and conditioning. Yes. But COVID really stopped us in our tracks and um, after investing a significant amount of money over there and we're talking a couple of million bucks just trying to get the brand up and running and investing in a marquee site in Santa Monica and um, the opportunity to partner with Exponential who thought they love what we were doing. Um, We had really good numbers in Australia and Singapore and New Zealand but they've got the infrastructure, they've got the boots on the ground. Um, we know that they're going to look after the brand. Yes. And that's, that's really important to us and especially me as a founder that it's not actually all about just the exit and the sale and, and capitalising on that. You know, this is your baby and you, you, to hand it over to someone is really difficult. Yes. And so just to have the confidence that they're doing great things with nine other brands. Yes. Um, and all of those have come from uh, the founder, Anthony Geisler, purchasing of founders yes and so you know that that gave us a lot of confidence um we didn't know whether at the time of doing the transaction whether we could travel and get to america in the near future so there's a lot of uncertainty and i think one of the things we know is that sites sell sites and uh, more members and more social media helps to sell so Mm. they are going to be able to do in america and canada um you know in, in in a year what might have taken us two two and a half years yeah And so that's really exciting for them, that that market opportunity, and it's really exciting for us because it actually helps us as we continue to grow in various other regions of the world as as well as um, continue to, to do what we're doing in Asia Pacific. Hey,
0: guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I, who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn, Yeah, no, it's an interesting deal um, how you talked about kind of they will handle North America but you still control the IP and still can build out the vision.
1: They actually, yeah, they own the IP, so we sold the IP. Yep. Um, We continue to run and develop that. Yes. And there will be a transition. Yes. Um, Our model is unique in terms of how we do our programming, the level of detail, the education behind it, so Mm -hmm. it's not something that's just to pick up and... They can run with it. Yes. And, and again, I think the, the beauty of when you do these transactions and you're talking to these people is they give you confidence by actually saying, well, actually, we're not good at that. You yeah. are, so you stick with it. Yeah. And that's where it's really aligning that um, often in, in a transaction, buyer and seller have various views on I, I should have asked for money or I shouldn't have given it as much money or whatever, We're actually it's really a hand-in-glove type relationship where um, they own the IP but we're continuing to develop it Um, we actually uh, do some revenue sharing, so off our sales and we revenue share off some of their sales. So Ah. it's quite an aligning um, transaction. It's quite unique actually. Yes. Um, And a lot of credit's got to go to Anthony Geisel, their CEO. He's, um, as a CEO of a publicly listed company, he's extremely entrepreneurial and he he knows how to get stuff done. Um, And he, once we were aligned in, we thought it was a good idea for our brands to, I guess, get together he was just if there's any any hurdle to overcome in the transaction um, whether it was lawyers or you know Deloitte's or the SEC or whoever he was just always able to troubleshoot and go let's just make it happen let's just make it happen and um, he, he was you know huge in driving it which is why it got done in under four weeks. Yeah wow
0: that's wild and like even four weeks for you to go through the thought process of that something that you want to do which is you know it's not a, a complete exit per se, but it is, you know, you're, you're selling a part of your baby. Um, how did you come to that decision so quickly?
1: Yeah, as I said, we'd, we'd had offers. Yeah. And so we had contemplated um, various ways of doing this. Yes. None of which sort of felt right at the time. And, and as I said, we, we had some genuine bigger offers. This was just... So when it came, there was just fortuitous with the timing of it. Yes, um, we'd been in we'd had a few interested parties kind of court us and go through some DD processes with other other interested parties,
0: and I get you know it's
1: a huge learning curve, um, let alone doing it with a public company. It's it's a massive learning curve, um, and I'm certainly like I learnt an unbelievable amount. Um, about our business, funnily enough, because they dive right into your business and want to know every nook and cranny, and and they call everything out. Okay, there's a gap somewhere. They're going to call it out, and it's all going to come down to influencing the valuation, but also the path forward. So, um, so yeah, we had we had contemplated offers, which I guess had us in that headspace. And for the three of us, Richard and Hamish, business partners, we we'd had the conversations around. Okay, what what would we what do we want? You know, do we want to stay in? Is it too early for us? Um, where's the risk in our business? What's the upside? Like all, all those things and where are our gaps? Where are we winning? Where are we failing? So it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to look internally and have an external set of, a set of eyes really criticising, not criticising, critiquing your business and how you're operating and then go, okay, let's reflect on that and are we still up for the challenge? Um, are we done? What we realise, well, we're not done. We just got we've got way more to do, um, lots more goals to kick, so to speak, and um, challenges to overcome, and we're still excited by that. So that's where when Anthony came with, "Look, we're really interested in your business," um, and didn't want to take the whole shebang. We're like, "Okay, this actually this is potentially the conversation we've been looking for." Um, mm. In light of not being able to get to America and and get that return on the initial investment um, because of COVID, so. It was just stars aligning. Yeah, you know, we'd had those thought processes. We'd we'd had those internal discussions together. We talked about do we take on more investment? Um, Richard and I, who kind of co CEO the company, we talked about do we actually step back and bring in one CEO? Um, so so it was it was just good timing. We'd had all those discussions. We would reflected. We'd had the honesty chats with each other, and um,
0: the rest is history. Yeah, no, that's awesome, and it's just. It's really incredible the growth that you guys have had. Like you guys popped up uh, just out of nowhere and then you guys are everywhere. So I'm curious kind of anybody that's looking at the body fit training journey and going, okay, perhaps I'm a personal trainer, perhaps I have a set of skills, but I'm looking to productize those skills Um what 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 advice would you give to them looking to because that is that is a common thing right where if somebody has a unique set of skills like yourself uh and then really how do you build something really scalable around it what advice would you give to somebody looking to start a business um and and productizing their skills
1: yeah it's a really good question and um first thing is don't rush it i think potentially people hear about our story and um, it's the old adage of every, no, every overnight success takes 10 years. Um, I've, been, I've been working at it for 30. Um, so, you know, BFT for me is a bit of a culmination of 30 years of my experience in terms of the IP. The, the, the four sites that I did initially um, absolutely laid the foundations and, and that was off the advice of um, uh, uh, my friend Des from SportsGo, who just said, look, you've got to get in and get your hands dirty. You need to know... Everything about the business—you um, need to know what's not working, why things are not working, how you're going to fix them. You know the financial model, equipment suppliers. You know, just there's so many aspects to it that if you're going to then sell this and try and, I guess, monetize it in in a, in a franchise type arrangement, you have a responsibility that when the investors ask you questions, to be able to look them in the eye and give them an honest answer that I've got that under control and I've tested. And I've got my hands dirty and I've learned some lessons, but you know what? We're here now, and here's a really robust PL based off four functioning sites. I'm just not making this up on a piece of paper because we can all put numbers together and make it look great. So I think the lure of um, if I can just sell, and I, I, to be honest, I know a lot of current franchises in our space who are giving away franchises. Why? I, I don't know why. My assessment is they probably like to sell a story that they've got. 50 locations on their website versus we really value our product. We have not given away one site. So, um, Tim Payne, the cricket captain of Australia, and his business partners, George Bailey and Nick Rewalp, they paid 100% um, for their franchises and um, their upfront territory fees. They pay 100% on their royalties, they don't get any discounts. And that's not to say that we don't treat them slightly differently because they've got a certain amount of IP and value, so we do give them potentially, you know. Extra support in other areas. Yes. But we really value our product. And so don't be in a rush for that pot of gold because you you will just miss the really valuable learning of all the mistakes. And you will get found out. Tr- trust me, you know, we we have 160 sites open and rightly so. We get questioned every single day about certain things and elements in our business. What I feel good about is that. We tend to most of the time have solutions and answers that are positive for people and you can't please everyone but if you've gone through that process and really done your diligence and done your research um, and just taken the time to really refine your model, that's critical I think to sell a really authentic story rather than a piece of paper with a PL that you've made up. And you're trying to really push the envelope with justifying everything we didn't have to we've got four functioning sites we can actually take you come and do a class and touch it and feel it it is what it is and so that's one i think the other thing is really what's your point of differentiation like do you have a really unique niche in the market um a lot of people to be honest look at us and compare us to f45 but when people get inside they're like it's completely different Mm like completely different. So I often talk to people that you know Channel 7 look, looks a lot like Channel 9 but the programs are really different. Mm. And and so where do you sit in the marketplace and have you done your research? You know what's the the 2 years where we had the sites we started with 6 programs. Yes. We now have 13. Yes. Half of the 6 that were at the start don't exist in our 13. And so just because I thought I was onto something and I thought I'd identified a gap in the market doesn't make it real. You've got to validate it. And again, that goes back to time. You know, the story to early investors who we are forever forever grateful for backing us in, if I gave them a, hey, we've had a site for six months and, gee, the numbers look great versus two years, it's a very different um, proposition to them and it gives them a different level of confidence. So validate your ideas. Um, if you're copying someone else you're copying someone else, to be to be really honest. Like, you know, where where is your point of differentiation? And um, competition is a really good thing too, so really embrace it. Yes. Like, I, the more competition we have, the better because it keeps us on our toes. And that goes back to testing the model and our early decision to come into Paran where it's really, really saturated with fitness offerings. We're like, if we can prove it here, we're half a chance. And we did exactly the same and we went to America and we have invested in our... Um, our marquee site there in Santa Monica, which is probably globally one of the most competitive um, yeah, fitness. gym, gym, gym markets. So it's not necessarily take the hard route, um, but just put time and energy into it and know every nook and cranny in your business and, and really, really validate it. And it's I think it's more powerful to be able to say to someone, well, I've invested my money in those four sites and I've actually risked. You know my family's future and my mortgage and everything else. I've backed it in. I, yes, I'm asking you for money as an investor, but I've been I've sat in that seat, and I've done it. And I think that's also powerful and lends a little bit to the authenticity of that that process because there is a sales process, right? Mm. And I think if you can make it more personal and authentic, it's less of a sale. If that makes sense, you're not yeah. you're not you know you're not the connotation I guess of a used car salesman. Um, so yeah really really understand your marketplace with your product what you what understand your usps and what's you know what are you selling as your unique positioning in the marketplace and how are you different to your competitors um and i don't know what there's no right amount of time because every business is different but just really validate every angle of your business the core product the financial model how are you going to scale you know i'll give you an example where we did some modeling um, when we went to market in 2018 and we thought that if we did 33, if we sold 33 franchises and got them open, that we would be running, um, we would be cash flow positive as a business. Um, it was actually about 133. <laughs> so we we're, were, like, we were miles off. So, you know, we got a lot of things right. Um, we absolutely got that wrong. But that's okay. You, you know, you live and learn and you just keep backing yourself in to to, to make it happen. Um, but yeah, to Bide your time, don't be in a rush.
0: You said something really interesting around the four sites and getting it right. Um, How did you know with that first site you were ready to move to the next one and you got it right? Like that first one in Paran, how did you just know? Like, like, you know, there's a lot of other options for
1: people. Like how do you know? Um, Probably naivety, to be really, really honest. Initially, we went okay. It was hard to get real estate. And then as soon as we got Pran and signed the lease, an agent who we'd been you know, um, working with to try and find property found one in South Yarra and we just went, we're just going to take it. Yep. So it was a little bit more of a let's just keep momentum versus, oh, let's get this 100% right before we do number two. And and that's a big part of it. you just got to back yourself. And a big part of moving forward is just keep momentum, keep momentum and keep driving it. Um, it's it. You can make far more reasons and rationalise why we shouldn't move fast, and continue to move forward, than move forward. Mm. Like that's the easy decision, and and I definitely you know that you grapple with that. You're like, oh my god, you know we've we've just sunk all this money into here, and we've made a lot of mistakes on the first site size and not enough equipment and all the rest of it. But that gave us the opportunity. By signing that lease, that, got us, that gave us the opportunity to open a second one within six months and really quickly implement the lessons that we'd learnt at that site. That then gave us the opportunity to learn some more lessons. And by that stage we'd been, um, we'd we'd found the site in Richmond and went, right, uh, you know, now even just the equipment, I'm okay, like, I think I've got the equipment pack. So now I think I know how to, that that's really rounded out. So then, you're dealing with supplies, you're trying to get that right and get the pricing right and so on and so forth and it's just constant layering of lessons because you're just not going to get it right. It's just the reality of it. Like like for us to forecast 33 sites to break even and for it to be 133, that's a massive miss. <laughs> yeah, what <laughs> happened there? So there's just a large amount of naivety, I think, with entrepreneurs and, and that's... Uh, that's a good thing because if I knew what I knew now, I don't know whether I would have started the business. So, you kind of, there's this blind faith that you have that. Um, I had a lot of people who said, I, I just think it's too competitive. I don't think it's going to work and all those sorts of things. Um, if I listened to all of that and I didn't have that blind faith and, and a little bit of that naivety, um, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, mm. So, you just got to back yourself in. But, you know, the whole time you're still, You've got to be open to feedback and, and you've got to understand you are going to make mistakes and some of them monumental. Um, but if you're not prepared to learn and still back it in and just go, no, I believe, I believe, I believe, then probably don't start the process. Because mm-hmm. the early the early the early stages of the journey are tough. Um, and we're sitting here now after you know a few years and um a very fortunate transaction with exponential fitness and it's it's a completely different conversation as well as for me it's a very different feeling to Mm. what it was early days um so yeah it's (laughs) there was no method in it to to be really honest other than I just I, I just knew and it's a bit like sport you've just got to keep rolling and keep pushing forward and pushing forward and if you stop your competitors are going to go past you and that's that's what the second lease was, the third lease, and then the fourth lease. Yeah, look, um,
0: I appreciate your honesty, Cameron, because like that's so true, that blind faith, that naivety, quite often times the industries that are disrupted uh, by new, uh, you know, uh, emergence, uh, they don't understand the industry, they don't understand how tough it is, they don't understand all the nooks and crannies, as you would say, of what needs to happen. So. I'm curious around mindset. Um, you know, if let's just say if you want to build a million-dollar-a-year business, for anybody watching this right now listening, um, half the battle is actually believing it. And if you can if you can believe that you can do it, you, you, you're halfway there, which is kind of a crazy thing, right? No matter how long it takes. So, for yourself it's obvious that you have a really strong sense of mental discipline. Where did that come from? Has it been trained? Has it been refined over time during this journey to keep you going through these difficult times?
1: I, I grew up in really humble you know, circumstances. Um, you know, I remember my brothers and sisters and I putting coins in a jar to save for a, uh, the, the annual holiday. So I think... My parents, we had a great upbringing. My dad was a police officer. Um, mum worked as a tea lady, which I don't even know if that exists anymore, um, mm. but going into corporate offices and pouring tea for people basically mm. and looking after them. So I think early days for me, as I got older, because when you're a kid, life's just great. Mm. Like I had a great childhood. As I got a bit older, um, one of the things I saw was this this, this Des Morgan from go that... He was a truck driver oh really and he went and had a crack at opening a sports store and he actually bought a sports store off lee matthews a hawthorn footballer called lee matthews sports store and did that well and then it sort of went belly up and then he, and then he had another crack and i just remember hearing him have a conversation he, i think he and i'm not 100 clear on this but i think he wanted to get some people involved and had maybe had conversations with my dad and and my dad He's a really intelligent guy, but conservative, risk-averse. Risk yep. And my mum's extremely risk-averse. So I was brought up in a really conservative environment, but I was a naturally competitive kid. Um, everything was competitive to me. Um, and so seeing that and seeing his journey and seeing him fail more than anything but then succeed again, it's just really for some reason reson- resonated with me. And so I... I was very fortunate for my twenty first birthday, Mum and Dad gave me a ticket to go around the world. Oh wow! And um, they sort of said, "We can give you the birthday party and we'll give you the whole bang and you know all the bells and whistles, or here's the same amount of money and you can sh- off you go." For eighteenth, my twenty first. Twenty first. Wow! Um, what an epic gift. And that's when I landed. I got to America and I did some summer camps, and I was like, absolutely had the best time in, of my life. And then I got to London, was going to do the typical Aussie three months in London, work in a pub, travel yeah. around Europe, do a you tour and come home. And I got to London and and the opportunity to do personal training came up. I was actually working in a pub, so yeah. three pound, five pence an hour, which is nothing, um, even though it was 1995. And I got asked to, to do some personal training in a gym one day, And a gym where I trained, so one of the members actually approached me. And I said, yeah, if I, here's my number and, or give me your number and... Um, Back then, I didn't have a mobile phone or anything, so this is pre-Google, to give you some context. Um, and I rang a heap of gyms, I went to a payphone I rang all these gyms in London because I had no idea what a personal trainer charged. And I had just qualified a very basic level qualification, um, but I'd never actually utilised the, the, the qualification at all, and someone was saying on the phone, oh yeah, it's 30 pounds an hour, it's 35 pounds an hour, and I'm like, wow. and so I think the combination of, you know, seeing Des sort of take a risk, learn lessons, go again, second one sort of fell over, learn more lessons and then, and then they started sports Go, and, and then it went bang. And so that, that really just for whatever reason sat with me and, um, and then being in London and going, okay, I can, I'm earning three pounds, five pence an hour and then just making the decision to take on this client. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm my rates are 30 pounds an hour and I'm gonna charge you, um, I think I charged 25 pounds an hour to write the programs. And I said, it was gonna be X amount of hours to actually write the programs. And the, the client didn't balk and I went, well, here's an opportunity. <laughs> um, and so I, that for me just opened my eyes up to the world, not just me being, know one from the eastern suburbs of Melbourne where I lived a fairly conservative sort of insular life. And I think that really set the foundation for me to go, you know what, if I want to do something, I want to aim high. And there, there is opportunity. And London was a place where if you're a good person, you worked hard, you had respect, opportunities came. Back then, I don't know what it's like now. Um, and that certainly was what my experience. So that absolutely just shaped me um, that if I ever want to do anything, why not reach for the stars? Because it's actually possible. Whereas prior to that, I'd had this very insular, grew up in a conservative household, get a comfortable job, maybe a government job, work nine to five and have it secure. That was sort of my upbringing and the mentality of it. And all through my childhood, it just never resonated with me. I just never wanted to do that. So I think that part of me was somehow ingrained because I always was competitive. I just never knew, I guess, what that meant and how I was actually going to make something happen. But being in London, not knowing anyone and starting up a, a personal training business was the first eye opener. And I was very fortunate. I trained a lot of really high profile, rich and famous people, really high profile business people and them recognizing that I was a hard worker and offering support and advice. Yeah. Wow. was just invaluable. You know, like the vice president of AT&T, um, to, to be able to sit down with him and get advice off him, and because he just recognised that I was a hard worker, mm. and so I just thought, yeah, I, if I ever if I ever do something on my own, of there's no limitations. You've got to be prepared to work, but don't don't limit yourself to Melbourne or Australia. There's a whole world out there, and why not? If you've got something that you really believe in, why not try and get it to the world? And that's what we're trying to do with body fit training is that. It's really exciting. We've got nearly 40,000 members at the moment, but, you know, I want to see a million people experiencing body fit training around the world. That That's kicking a goal, you know. So we're, we're on our trajectory at the moment, but we've got a lot of things to achieve. Yeah,
0: wow, exciting. So, look, uh, we have to work towards wrapping up. This has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate just your open honesty, vulnerability of what it's taken to get where you are today. Um, just a couple last questions. Uh I'm just really curious kind of what does success look like for you in 10, 10 years from now? Like what what is is it the million members? Is it, what, is it more than that? I'm just curious.
1: Uh, for, to be honest, first and foremost, having an unbelievably good relationship with my kids. Yep. Um, that's something that, as I said earlier, with sport I really missed out on. So um, Richard, my business partner and I, we, we talk a lot about making sure we keep the balance, yep. and you know, working seven days a week for me is not a problem. Um, I think, I hope <laughs> those times have passed. <laughs> but it, it is really important that you know, because if you can do all this stuff in business, and you do have to have a certain um, singular focus. But family just so important to me. So uh, the success for me is, you know, in ten years' time, I hope I'm really still close and going to the footy with my kids and doing those sorts of things. On a business front, um, right now it's actually we're at a really exciting stage where we're we're growing and we're actually able to train and empower our staff to somewhat you know pass the baton on, so to speak, and yes. and give them the best opportunity for them to be their best and and continue to drive our brand. So that's actually a really exciting challenge that I actually really struggled with, to be honest, um, handing it over yes. to baby. So. There's a lot of learning for me there. And, and and as you said, just to, we had a goal of, by the end of 2023, to have a thousand studios globally yep. and we're on track. So wow. with Exponential Fitness, we're, we're confident that we're gonna do it. So from April of 2018 to the end of 2023, it was a pretty, um, as I say, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And um, we're, we're still firmly focused on achieving that. Yeah, wow, so yeah, look, you achieve
0: that, you you'll be very well on your way to a million million members. That's incredible. Yeah,
1: wow. yeah, that's the goal.
0: Awesome. Well, look, Cameron, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, come down to the office, and uh, just share all your lessons learned and experiences. You've had an incredible journey, and congratulations on all your success thus far.
1: Thanks, Nathan. Appreciate
0: it. <laughs> You're welcome. Cheers. Thank you so much, Cameron. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview.